Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Uh, we'll be hearing God's Word this morning from Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 27, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 12. Uh, it's not actually as long as that might sound, but we are continuing now. Uh, for those of you who have been here, we've been working our way uh, through Genesis, and we are continuing now. Oh, hold on. That's this. I got it. There we go. Now you can go. Um, we are continuing now uh, in the story of, of, of Genesis, into the story of Abram. And Abram is somebody you actually may be familiar with, though probably more familiar with his name, Abraham, uh, which is as a name he doesn't have yet, but he will get as the story progresses. And in the whole flow of Genesis, the first 11 chapters have felt very big and big picture. And we've read a lot of names and people spreading out all over the earth. And now we're going to focus in on a particular family as God continues to work out his promise that he is going to bring blessing to the world. He is going to overcome the effects of Adam and Eve's sin. Remember, God created everything perfectly and right and good and happy, and then Adam and Eve sinned, and from there everything spiraled downhill. And the cause, the great flood to wipe everything out and restart in a sense, but mankind was still evil, still evil in every thought of his heart, God said. And so God is going to carry out this plan that he promised way back in Genesis chapter 3, that the offspring of the woman, the offspring of Eve, some child in her line, would crush Satan forever. And so the idea of children, the idea of the family line of God's people, has been important so far and will be even more important as we zoom in on the particular family. What I want you to think about as I read this is who is this family that God has chosen? Who is this man, Abram, and his wife, Sarai? And how, how are they going to do as a family for the, to be the vehicle of God's blessing for the world? So this is Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abra's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. 
At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with you. It will go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the prince of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your word, even when it's somewhat hard to understand, even when there are confusing things in it. Uh, we pray now that as we reflect on it together, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that this word would not merely be information for us, but transformation for us, that you would sink it deep into our hearts, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I have a confession to make, and my confession is that I am a sports fan, and a sports fan of a particular team. Some of you share this, this need to confess that we are sports fans of a particular football team that resides in Washington. And it's hard, to, it's hard to say because they keep changing their name. This was a team that once was the Washington Redskins and then became the Washington football team and now is the Washington Commanders. And it is somewhat of a confession to be a fan of this particular team because I think it is fair to say for all but the fans of this team, it is quite possibly one of the worst franchises in the entire NFL. There is really, there is really nothing good about it. There is nothing good about it from the field to particularly, if I may make such a comment, to the owner's box, um, to anywhere else. And those of you who are not football fans at all have no idea what I'm talking about. But, but others of you, you fully understand. And yet, this team that we should give up on for so many reasons, I cannot help myself. I have been a fan all my life from the time that I was a child. And not only have I remained a fan, not only do I care far more than I should, about how this team does on the field. I've passed it down to my children. And now they care every Sunday what is happening with the Washington now commanders. Why is that? Why do we have such loyalty to our sports teams? It's, it's kind of funny when you think about it. A former pastor of mine used to say, you're, you're cheering for laundry. Like you're just cheering for the uniforms. The players change, everything changes, and you're gonna keep cheering for that same uniform. It's a weird thing. But there's something about it that is deep. 
We care about that team because, because we have a sense of loyalty. They're ours. We, ca we can't let it go. And now you say, what, what, what in the world does loyalty to a sports team have to do with Genesis chapter 12? Here's what's happening. In Genesis chapter 12, what we see is we see the loyalty of God to his people. Why did God choose Abram and Sarai? I have no idea. There are some good things about them here, sure, but there are some not good things as well. This is not the top of the line. This is not Tom Brady. This is, this is like choosing the commanders with their quarterbacks that keep changing and can't quite get it right. Like they have, he has not chosen the cream of the crop here. He's chosen a fighter, perhaps, somebody who's going to do some things. But Abram messes up right away. He does go in faith, but then he goes and he, he runs off. As soon as he gets in the land, he runs off to Egypt and he lies. And he puts his wife at risk to save his own skin. He is not a model of faith. And yet what does God do? He blesses him. Where is the judgment and the condemnation of Abram? It is, it is nowhere to be found. Now, that does not mean that everything that Abram has done is right. It is clear enough that he is doing some things that are wrong. God doesn't even really need to tell us that, that Abram is making mistakes here. But God is not giving up on him. And the, 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 the top message this morning from Genesis chapter 12 is that God cares for his people. And God will remain loyal to his people. And that is an amazing comfort for us this morning. So if you're here this morning and you think, I am not good enough to be here, whether because that's just a thought you put into your own head or whether you look around and you think everybody else here has, has it all together, let me tell you first, it's not true. Everybody else doesn't have it all together. Just get to know them. We're, we're pretty real around here. We'll tell you how it's not true. But for whatever reason, if you feel like you're not measuring up, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you are part of God's people, he is not going to give up on you. He did not give up on Abram. He is not going to give up on you. Instead, he is going to bless you, and he is going to use you for his purposes. That blessing may not always be clear. That doesn't mean you're never going to go through hard times. Abram was facing a famine and having to flee to a place where he was going to be in danger. But God blessed him anyway, even though he didn't do everything right. And he will do the same for you because God cares for his people with a loyalty that is far more than any sports loyalty that we can imagine. So if that's the main thing, that God cares for his people. What, what do we respond to us? What, how do we respond to that? What do we need to do? There is something here for us. Look at uh, chapter 12, verse 8. Abram's wandering around the land of Canaan. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram did do some things right. Abram did a lot of things wrong, and he will continue to do a lot of things wrong. But the two things he did right here, when God called, he went. And when God blessed him in the land and showed him the land and made promise to him, he called on the name of the Lord. And so what, how do we respond to a God who shows incredible loyalty to his people, even when they mis make mistakes, even when they disobey, even when they are faithless, we respond by calling upon his name. We put our hope in him rather than in figuring things out for ourselves because we know we're not going to figure it out because we can't. We can't get it right. Abram tried to figure out what to do. 
and you might have thought it was going well when he didn't get killed, but he wasn't making progress with Sarai in the court of Pharaoh. Like, what was he going to do from there? He needed God to rescue him. What was he going to do in this land that God says, I'm going to give it to you and your offspring, when Genesis has already told us that Abram is 75 years old and Sarai is barren. She had no child. He's not going to have offspring if he has no children. And there's other people in the land. There's Canaanites in the land. Abram's not going to figure this out on his own. So what can he do? What can we do? We call on the name of the Lord. We call on him in hope. But to know that that's what we can do, that we can put our faith and trust in God, that we can call on him in hope and trust that he will actually change things. We have to look deeper into who exactly are God's people. Who are the people that God cares for? And we see here three aspects of God's people in these chapters in Genesis. The people that God cares for. One of them is good. Two of them are not so good. But in those we may see ourselves. So first, God cares for his incomplete people. Secondly, God cares for his bold people. That's a good one. Third, God cares for his fearful people. His incomplete people, his bold people, his fearful people. So first, his incomplete people. You may have wondered what's going on at the end of chapter 11. All the, the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, Haran, Haran fathered Lot, blah, blah, blah. What happened with these people? Verse 31. Uh, Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Haran. They settled there. The days of Terah, or sorry, to go into the land of Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Did you catch what happened? They're over here in Ur, and Terah's like, hey, family, let's go to Canaan. He didn't make it. Haran is about halfway from Ur to Canaan. So Terah took his family, including Abram, and they get halfway, and then they just stopped. They didn't finish the journey. This does not start out as like Abram comes from this amazing family that's going to go and do things. No, they got, they got stuck in Haran. They got stuck with a family where somebody had died too early. This, uh, Haran, the son of Terah, which is different from the place Haran. Not that that's confusing at all. But so you have family members who have died. So you have kind of a mixed up family. You have another family member who can have no children. Sarai, as is specifically mentioned, we're trying to go to this new land for whatever reason, make a new life there, gather new lands, do good things. But they get stuck. God's, it's an incomplete people. And we feel that. We feel, so I don't, I don't know about you as you're starting out the new year. Maybe, maybe your new year's resolutions are still going strong. But we're two weeks in, so they might not be. And certainly two months in and six months in, most of our new year's resolutions fall by the wayside. And we get to the end of the year and we say, man, there were so many things I thought I was going to accomplish. So many ways I thought I was going to change. So many things I was going to do differently. Another year gone, and I still feel incomplete. And so we can look at that, and we can say, well, this year it's going to be different. This year it's going to be better. I'm going to buck up. I'm going to do it right. But, but we probably won't. It's probably not the best response. And so sometimes instead of confidence, then we can go to despair. 
where we see our incompleteness and instead of saying, I'm going to do it now, I'm going to get it right this time, we say, I'm not even going to start because I know I'm not going to finish. That's just who I am. This can't possibly work. What's the point in putting effort into something that's not ever actually going to happen? And so the encouragement of God's care for us this morning, for his incomplete people, is if you feel incomplete this morning, you are loved. You are cared for. And God will finish the work. So don't be afraid to start. If God puts something in front of you, whether a clear command of his to obey that's coming from the Bible, whether an idea of something good and godly that you think would be good to do in your family, in your work, in this world, in your neighborhood, in your community, wherever, do it. Don't be afraid to start. Don't, don't be afraid to think that I might not finish this or I might be embarrassed or it might not work out. Because God loves his incomplete people. He picked Abram up from that place in Haran. He's like, Abram, all right, go. go. Now, it's a little bit unclear, to be honest, whether he had told Abram that originally in Ur or whether he spoke that to him in Haran. But in any case, the point is, from Haran, he took Abram on to the land that he had set out. God finished the job. And he promised us that again in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians. Paul says to the Philippians, he says, I'm sure of this, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus. That God's promises, all the things he set before us to obey, all the things he has set before us to do, he is going to finish those off. So even though we are his incomplete and unfinished people, he loves us, he cares for us, and he's bringing it to the end. He's bringing it to completion. We can have hope and confidence in that. So we don't have to be afraid to start. We don't have to give in to despair. We don't have to rely on our own pride. We fall on our knees before God and say, God, I'm calling on your name. You've put this on my heart. This is in your word. Will you bring this through? Will you make this happen in my life, in the lives of other people I love, in my neighborhood around me? So God cares for his incomplete people. God cares for his bold people. There's, there, there's some good things. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Abram, if we were to look at Abram in our terms, there's a lot about him that's actually a really good guy. This was, this was bold. The Lord said to Abram, go. How old was he? 75 years old. It's not really the age at which most people just start setting out and doing things. And yes, we do see some people living longer back then, but it's still clear later on that Abram's, Abram's old and it's a problem. He's, it's, still, it's still old. So Abram, but he goes. The Lord said to Abram, verse 1, go. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. And he goes and he passes through the land and he doesn't seem to complain. And then the Lord appears to him and he says, hey, I'm going to give you this land. To which Abram could have reasonably responded, um, there's a lot of other people here and I don't have any children. So God, what are you talking about? But that's not what he says. Instead, he builds an altar to the Lord and calls upon the name of the Lord. He says, okay, I will be bold, I will follow. Now, going down to Egypt, not quite so bold, but we'll get there in a minute. So what, what does that mean for us when we see the boldness of Abram? Can we stir ourselves up to be like Abram and go when God calls? Well, not, not on our own, but Abram is a model for us. He is a model of faith. He is used that way in the New Testament. Hebrews 11 points to Abram as a model of faith, as one we should be encouraged by, as one we should emulate, not in our own strength, but asking God for the strength 
to say, God, we see what you did for Abram. We see that you made him able to go. Will you make me able to obey? So if you think about some place in your life where you know that you are afraid, where you know that there is something that you should be doing that you have not yet done, some act of change in your life, some behavior that needs to stop, some behavior that needs to start, some project that needs to be done, some person that needs to be loved, some forgiveness that needs to happen, and you just can't do it. Say, I'm not bold enough. I am not courageous enough for that. I'm too afraid of what will happen. To pray and say, God, give me the strength. I'm going to, I know you have called me to do this. I know you commanded me to do this. Now will you give me the strength to obey you, the strength to trust in you? And the good news in that is not only does God answer prayers to make his people bold, but God cares for his people even when they are fearful. Because he cares for his incomplete people, he cares for his bold people, he cares for his fearful people. What do we get in the end here in this very weird story? We see the fearfulness of Abraham. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to sojourn there. For the famine was severe. When he was about to enter Jim, he said to Sarai, blah, 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 blah. Then they will kill me. Blah, blah, blah. That's the fear. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Verse 13, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. What do you notice in all these verses? Who are we talking about? We are only talking about Abram. There is no God told him to go to Egypt. Didn't happen. He chose that on his own. There's no like, hey, Sarai, I'm scared of this place in Egypt. It's a scary place. What are we going to do? Instead, it's how can I save my own skin? Sarai, you do this, and I'll be okay. Like, what's going to happen to Sarai? Like, it's not, even, it's not even a consideration. But why? Because Abram is afraid. And fear makes us do crazy things. Did Abram hate his wife, care nothing for his wife? I'm sure not. I'm sure Abram loved his wife Sarai just as much as any of us love our wives or our husbands. But fear makes us do things that we do not want to do. Fear is such a powerful thing. And, and his fear was not crazy. What happened as soon as they got into Egypt? Pharaoh took Sarai into his house to be his wife. Would Pharaoh have killed Abraham, Abram? Almost certainly. Like, we have no reason to think that Pharaoh would not have just done exactly what Abram was afraid of. But could God have made something different happen? Of course God could have made something different happen. But Abram was afraid. So what did God do? Did he shake his finger and wa did he wag his finger and shake his head at Abram and say, oh, I'm so disappointed in you? Say, I'm going to go find a new family? No. You know what God does? He just drops into the story. Brief mention, verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. God punished Pharaoh. He, didn't, he just said, Pharaoh, I'm going to punish you because this is wrong. Now, he doesn't say why. He, doesn't, he just says because of Sarai's wife. He doesn't go in to explain that you know, Pharaoh was running an unjust system and oppressing women and taking them for him own. He doesn't say any of that. We can assume some of that. He doesn't say that Abram was right to do what he did in any way. But what he does do is he cares for his own. Whose team do you want to be on here? Do you want to be on God's team or do you want to be on Pharaoh's team? You want to be on God's team. It doesn't so much matter 
here, what you are doing, who was right and who was wrong. Pharaoh wasn't right either. But what matters is whose side are you on? God will be loyal to his people. God will care for his people, even for his fearful people. So what can we do with this? What do we do when we find ourselves to be his fearful people? Well, there's a, a, a great verse in 1 John chapter 4. It says, perfect love casts out fear. What do we do when we are fearful people? We fall on the perfect love of God. The perfect love of God that loved Abram. The perfect love of God that was further expressed in his love for us in Jesus. What did Jesus do for us? Jesus took a punishment on himself that should have fallen on us. Should Abram have been punished for his lack of faith and disobedience? Absolutely. But God did not punish him. God rescued him. How can God do that? Because God put the punishment that we deserve on Jesus. And so as we trust in his love, as we trust in his love expressed for his people throughout these stories of the Old Testament, the people that God bound himself to despite all their imperfections, as we trust in God's love expressed for us as Jesus went to the cross expressing that perfect love for us, that our sins could be forgiven, that we could be guaranteed eternal life with him, then our fear can melt away. For if Jesus has died for us, if Jesus has reversed the plans of Satan, Jesus can reverse every other evil plan of this world. So whatever evil, and, uh, e whatever evil happens to us, whatever thing we fear, we can look at the love of God for us. And we can say, as Paul does in Romans, if Christ is for us, who then can be against us? For God has always been for his people. Whether they were incomplete and unfinished, whether they were bold and faithful, or whether they were fearful and disobedient. God will take care of his people. And so all that is left for us is to call on the name of, his, of the Lord. To build our altars. To come before him each Sunday and say, I'm going to call on the name of God. That is what we are doing when we gather together. We are calling upon the name of the Lord, saying, God, we need your help. I may not feel it. I may not know what that looks like. But I am here this morning with your people to call on your name. This is what we do in our private prayers throughout the week, individually, with our family. Say, God, we don't understand. We don't know what to do. But we will trust in you. You have been faithful to us. You have been faithful to your people for all of history. You sacrificed your son Jesus for our sake. And you will drive out all our fears. We call upon the name of the Lord and we trust in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you demonstrated this love to Abram even in the midst of his fear and disobedience. We thank you that you demonstrated this love for us through Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross. We pray that in that love you would drive out all our fear, drive out all our despair, that we may walk before you in obedience and trust and call in your name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.